as we look at the book of Daniel, we're going to look at this idea in these first six chapters, especially of what it means to be faithful in exile. The, the idea of exile uh, is, is a theme that really is woven throughout the scriptures, but it's when you find yourself not at home, you find yourself in a place that isn't your home. That's what it means to be in exile. And in the Old Testament, the people of Israel often found themselves in exile, taken away from their home, longing to be back home. And, and the question is, when you're in exile, how do you live in exile? Do you make yourself at home? Or, or what, what do you do? What should our posture be towards the culture that we live in? Uh, to students, what should your posture be to the University of Michigan? What, what should your posture be to Eastern Michigan, to, to Ann Arbor? How should we think about our identity in the culture around us? And, and this question really has become more complicated because in the, uh, in the last decade or more, there's been a shift in the view uh, and the, the perception of Christianity uh, in our culture. Now, uh, to be fair, there, there are some things about uh, how Christianity has been worked out by some in the church and, uh, and those who have professed faith in Christ that hasn't always been consistent with the scriptures. I, I regularly interact with people who say to me, you know, I, I'm compelled and interested in Jesus, but I've got, a, I've got questions about the church. Like I'm, I'm for Jesus, but I'm not really sure about the institutional church. Um, and and I, I often say uh, I, I love the church. I'm a pastor of the church. I've given my life to the church. Uh, and yet, the church not only isn't perfect, but when the church isn't perfect, it's not because we don't have a perfect Savior, but it's because we failed to reflect the perfect Savior that we have. Uh, and so the church has, has often missed the boat in the last 50 years when it's come to issues of, of race and what it means to, to love our neighbor and, and how to interact in the world. And, and there are others that we could list. If, if you just read the news, you know that the church has, has even failed when it comes to care for those who are most vulnerable, uh, victims of uh, whether it be sexual abuse or other forms of abuse. And that isn't true of the whole church at all times, everywhere, but it's true. And we can't deny it. We can't ignore it. We have to own it and acknowledge it. And yet, as Christians have sought to be faithful, even in the midst of a world where there's all kinds of reasons to, to not embrace the identity of being Christian, uh, there's this shift that's taken place where now uh, to consider yourself a Christian in the past might have been seen as a, an honorable or a noble thing. There used to be some cultural capital that would come with being a Christian. Um, you know, that, that would be something that you would mention perhaps an introductory uh, to another person. Uh, what church you went to, or those sort of things. And, and I'm not just longing for days gone past. That's not at all what I'm saying. But, but there's a shift in that today to identify yourself as a Christian. You might be a little slower to do so. Um, and in fact, if you do so, and if you do so too confidently, uh, you might be considered narrow-minded. You might be considered bigoted or prudish. In fact, as I listen to, to the news around me, there's this, this kind of uh, dance between what's a good Christian and what's a bad Christian. Uh, and... Good Christians and bad Christians are no longer defined by those who are living in conformity to, to God's word, but really those who are in step with the culture. Good Christians in step with the culture, bad Christians out of step with the culture. Uh, our culture's prevailing message to the church, if we're honest, is the moral stance of the church must change or it has no place in our world today. That's the prevailing sentiment of our culture. And, and this isn't me standing here saying, culture is so bad, and we are good. That, that's, not, that's not at all what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying we have to step back and open our eyes and say, here's where we live. 
And, and that's true, I think, across the U.S., and that's even more true in countries outside of the U.S. It's, it's true of the city that we live in. It's true on most major university campuses throughout uh, the U.S. So what do we do? Just kind of huddle together and keep our heads down and hope it doesn't get too bad? Charge the gates of hell with water pistols and go at it? What does it look like to be faithful when we find ourselves not at home in the places that we live? Well, that's what Daniel is about. We're going to look at Daniel chapters 1 through 6 and look at this idea of what it means to be faithful in exile. The people of Israel were in exile because they were actually under God's judgment. You see, if you read through the Old Testament, God, God chose the people of Israel not so that they could be a people under themselves, but he chose them so that God could bless all people, all nations, through his people Israel. That was God's plan all along. If you go back and you read in the, the beginning, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 12, that's what God said to the father uh, of the nation of Israel, Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to all nations. But as my people who are going to bless all nations, God called them into a covenant relationship, into a relationship that was defined by his commands, by his word. He said, live this way, not just for the sake of being different, but so that people will know what it means to belong to me. Well, I don't know if you've ever uh, thought to yourself that you're not living perhaps the way that you want to. Um, well, Israel found themselves in that position a lot, not living the way not only that they wanted to, but the way that God had commanded them. And, and when they sinned and rebelled against God consistently, God told them, look, I'm gracious and loving, but I'm just. And discipline will come. And, and regularly, God would discipline his people. And at times, that meant he, he disciplined them internally. At times, he brought other nations in and, and took them away into exile. And that's what happened here in Daniel. Daniel is a book in which we see the people of God disciplined because of their disobedience and rebellion against God. Some are taken away into exile into Babylon. And Babylon's the kind of the power to be at this time, and they've conquered the other powers uh, in the past that had uh, defeated Israel, like the Assyrians, and now they've come in and they are doing the same as the Assyrians did to the Babylonians. And, and when we think about our exile, a few weeks ago we were looking at the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. And uh, in Jeremiah, we see uh, this, this idea that uh, not only uh, are, can we relate to Israel, because we often find ourselves sinning in need of God's discipline. And when God is just and disciplines us, it doesn't negate his love and his grace. It seems, it seems so hard. I don't know if you feel that way sometimes. We hear this message, God is love. Uh, and he is. He's abundant in love. Listen to me. There's no sin there's no depth of your sin that isn't, um, that isn't capable, uh, that is beyond the depth of God's love. But God's love doesn't negate his justice. It doesn't negate his holiness. And in fact, the, the way in which we understand the love of God the most is when we see our need for it. You see, it takes seeing the justice and holiness of God to see our need for God. And then we, we are able to receive his love and his grace to us in a way that we never could have imagined. That's the good news of the gospel, that God had to come save us. That's how bad off we were. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, came to save sinners like you and me. We are in a pretty bad spot. 
but the good news is he willingly did it, full of grace, full of mercy, come to save us. That's, that's the heart and the message of the gospel. But we aren't exiles because we're under judgment. As Christians today, we are exiles precisely because of our identity in Christ. God says, as my chosen people, those who have put their trust in Jesus and given their allegiance to Jesus, because you belong to me, you'll never be at home in this world because I made you to be with me. Our hearts will always be restless until they find rest in God, and our hearts will always long for the home for which God made us for. And that home is never here as good and as sweet and as beautiful as the things that God offers us in this world. So we are exiles because we belong to God. And then as we think about that, that calling to be exiles right where we're at, right here, right now in your life, how can you be faithful to God as a follower of Christ, as an exile, as a sojourner, passing through this earth as a citizen of the, the life to come, of the world to come? Now, if, if you're not a Christian or you have questions about Christianity, you might think to yourself, maybe it's strange that Christians think of themselves as exiles. I don't know if you, maybe you have the thought, and I've heard the thought, man, Christians can have kind of a martyr complex, you know, like they're always going around thinking people are out to get them. Um, and, and I don't think that that's the, the heart of what the Bible is trying to get at when it communicates this, uh, this idea of being exiles. In fact, I think it's, it's really an invitation. It's an invitation to not find your home here, but to find your hope in what God offers. Find your home in Him. It's not to be a woe is me mentality, but I hope as we walk through the book of Daniel, what you'll hear is this invitation to the, to the privilege and to the blessing of belonging to God, of finding our home in God, so that no matter our circumstances, we can be faithful to Him and enjoy the good life that He calls us to live. That's what the book of Daniel is all about in Daniel chapter 1 through 6, this call to be faithful in exile. And so let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of an overview of Daniel before we uh, jump in uh, to, to great depth of our uh, first chapter here. Uh, Daniel's written late in the 6th century B.C. Um, so uh, Daniel 1.1 refers to, to events that occur in 605 B.C. That's when Nebuchadnezzar uh, becomes king and um, these, these dates are, are, are not just rooted in what the Bible is saying, but we actually have the, the Babylonian record uh, that records a lot of the history and the events of the Babylonian kingdom, especially King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and based upon those other documents, we, we get a sense of when these events were taking place in the life of Israel. And so Daniel 1.1, uh, the chapter as a whole, Daniel 1 kind of gives us the bookends of, of the book of Daniel. Daniel 1.1 1, 1 is 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar became king and came to, uh, to, to besiege Jerusalem. And then Daniel 1.21 says that Daniel was still in Babylon in the first year of King Cyrus. And King Cyrus was the king of, it was a Persian king. So the, the Persians would come along after about 70 years or so uh, of Israel being in Babylon and they would conquer the Babylonians. And the Persians uh, became a mighty power, and King Darius, or King Cyrus, and later King Darius were uh, some of the initial kings who uh, interacted with the people of Israel. And that was around 536 B.C. So you have about a 70-year or so period where Daniel is in Babylon, 
under both the Babylonians and then eventually the Persians. And here's a little bit of a, uh, a timeline. You see, starting way back in 723, Israel was split into two halves. The first half, uh, is so confusing to me, the first half is called Israel. Um, so Israel is split into two halves. They get to keep the name, right? Uh, and then the, the, the bottom half, the southern half, is called Judah. Um, so the first, the northern half, Israel, is taken into captivity by the Assyrians. The Babylonians defeat the Assyrians, and then they finish what the Assyrians couldn't. They take care of Judah. In 605, Nebuchadnezzar uh, comes and uh, takes some of the captives, usually mostly the nobility and the youth, away into exile. And then there are two other occurrences, 597 and then in 586, there are two other occurrences when the Babylonians deport people from Judah to Babylon. Uh, their, their kind of plan was to assimilate people into their culture so that they would kind of lose their cultural and religious identity. Um, and then eventually we see in 539 the fall of Babylon to the Persians. And then in 538, Cyrus tells the Jewish people to go back home. Um, and we'll see throughout the book of Daniel that it was just like God told his people. And Jeremiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, God told his people, you'll be in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And when 70 years is up, I'll bring you home. And just like that, 70 years to the day, God brings his people home. I, I've mentioned that you can kind of break Daniel down into two, two pieces or two parts. Chapters 1 through 6 is Daniel's experience of Babylon. That's what we're going to look at the next six weeks, this theme of faithful in exile. And in chapters 7 through 12 is Daniel's vision of God's future kingdom. Um, the truth is, I needed a few extra months to figure out what chapters 7 through 12 meant, so that's why we split this up. So if you have any idea about what the visions in the second half of Daniel uh, mean, I would love to talk to you after the service. Um, <clears throat> but we're, we're going to look at these first six chapters. We'll have some time uh, to focus in on Lent and Easter and, and Good Friday, and then we'll come back to look at the second half of, of Daniel, which, while it is in some ways, it can be a little confusing, it's actually pointing us to what's to come. As Christians, we live as people between two ages, the present age and the age to come. It's what defines the Christian life, and it's what gives us hope, is that God's future kingdom is coming. And here's, here's what makes Christianity subversive. Here's why, here's why every, every dictatorship has tried to suppress Christianity, because its message is that no kingdom, no king can stand before God and his kingdom. God's kingdom is the kingdom that will last forever. It's a message that gives us hope and that is subversive in our world today. It was then and it still is today. But here's, here's the overarching truth I want us to understand as we walk through Daniel, both these first six chapters and the latter six chapters. It's this, that God is in control. When we think about what it means to be a people faithful in exile, we, we, we can't forget this truth. Here's the truth that I, I want you to, to take home and, to, and to, to, to really dwell on in your heart. The, the truth that God is in control. And because God is in control, we can be faithful in exile. In the, in the moment that seems the darkest in our lives, in the most difficult and pressing circumstances, when, when things change around you, this one thing doesn't change. Now, if you're like me, you... Your life changes all the time. Things don't go the way that you expected. Things aren't what you had hoped for and what you wanted. You face disappointment and discouragement. 
You also have joys and experience real blessings. And through it all, the, the peaks of the, of the mountains and the lows of the valley, God is in control. And because God is in control, we can have the confidence as God's people and the, the courage to live countercultural lives while we wait for the promise of God's future kingdom. That's, that's what Daniel's saying to us as a whole, is that we can have the confidence and the courage to live countercultural lives while waiting for the promise of God's future kingdom. That's the hope of every person who's put their trust in God. That's the invitation to every person who's considering Christ, is to come to Him and to live the life that He calls us to, that He's made us for, with a hope that can't be shaken or taken from us because of our circumstances. A countercultural life. In fact, Daniel 1, you could best sum up as a, a countercultural witness. There's a, there's a saying that Christians use often that I'm going to, to use kind of as the, the structure of this message. And you might have heard something like this, that Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. I don't know if you've ever heard that statement, but it's a common way that, uh, that Christians have talked about their posture towards the world around them, that we live in the world, but we are, to, we are not to be of the world, to live according to the, to the values and the, um, and the way of the world. But there's a third point. Those two are true, but there's a third point that I think that Daniel 1 is going to help us see, and it's not only that we're, not to, we're to be in the world but not of the world, but we're to live for the world that we're going to see at the end of Daniel chapter 1. So let's look at Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bible, open up to Daniel, kind of the, the last book of the major prophets after Ezekiel towards the end of the Old Testament, or it's up here on the screen. It says that Daniel, uh, Daniel 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, of Nebuchadnezzar's God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, the king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So here in Daniel chapter 1, we, we see this first truth that we are to be in the world. This countercultural witness calls us to be in the world. What exactly do we mean by that? Well, the, the truth that I see throughout the scripture continually, whether we're in exile or not, whether Israel was in exile or at home in Jerusalem, and no matter where we find ourselves as followers of Christ today, this truth reigns supreme. Because God is in control, he never gets our address wrong. We just moved recently, and when you move, one of the things I don't like doing is all the changes that you have to do. It's like when you get a new debit card or, uh, or something like that, and all the, all the things that you have saved on that debit card or on that address 
have to be changed. And you don't realize how much is on that until stuff starts to come in or you don't get stuff anymore. Um, and so it's easy to get mail sent to the wrong address. Well, uh, the good news is God's better than the USPS, right? Uh, even better than Amazon Prime Delivery, which can get it to your house in two hours with groceries. I know it's incredible, but uh, God doesn't get our address wrong. He calls us to be in the world. And here's how we know it. Look what verse 2 says. It says that uh, in verse 1 that Nebuchadnezzar comes and besieges Jerusalem. And then Nebuchadnezzar takes King Jehoiakim of Judah and the, the youth and the nobility. Well, he does, right? Nebuchadnezzar does take them into exile. But who gave them to Nebuchadnezzar? The Lord. The Lord gave them to Nebuchadnezzar. It was the Lord who sent his people into exile. If you read in Daniel uh, chapter 24, uh, or excuse me, in Jeremiah chapter 24, there's this vision um, that there's a basket of good figs and bad figs. Um, and anytime I hear figs, I think of fig newtons, but that's not the same thing. Uh, but anyways, that's the side point. Um, so you think good fig newton, bad fig newton, however you want to look at it. Uh, in the vision that he gives Jeremiah, the, the bad fig newtons, or excuse me, figs, are those who stay in Jerusalem. The good figs are those who are sent away into exile in Babylon. What God is saying is that though I'm sending you into exile, I, I haven't forgotten you. I will be with you there. I'm sending you there. And I have a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, we, we perhaps know it or you've, you've thought it about your life. Maybe a life verse. I know the plans I have for you, God says. Plans for a future to prosper you, not to harm you. Those plans are spoken to people in exile as a reminder and a hope that God hasn't forgotten them, that God will work in them. God doesn't get our address wrong. He sends Daniel and his friends. It, it didn't catch God by su surprise. God's always been in control. God is at work. He is in control. Even now. Even now. Perhaps that needs to be the message that, that we take away. When we're facing those difficult moments and difficult circumstances, whether it's with school or relationship, decision making that we're facing in our life, even now, God, you're in control. Even now, God, you are with me. He doesn't get our address wrong. He calls us to be in the world. But, but here's a tricky thing that comes with being in the world. And here's the part that Christians continually battle with and, and wrestle with. And it's going to set us up to talk about what it means to not be of the world. But the, the truth is, if you are going to be in the world, here's something you have to know. Here's something that you can't be naive about. Naive about.